Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and thank you once again for joining me. Today, a fascinating conversation about how one of Australia's biggest regulators uses communication to achieve their business objectives. Elise Davidson is the General Manager of Strategic Communications at the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission. Now, the ACCC is largely just the regulator of the Australian marketplace. They are involved in pretty much every dispute or argument that goes on, and their job really is to instill a sense of fairness and equity around the public marketplace or the private marketplace in Australia. So massive uh, influential organisation, has a very energetic and influential chairman who is very clearly using the media often to achieve objectives. So I'm fascinated to really talk to Elise today about the role of communications in helping the ACCC achieve its business objectives. But at the ACCC, Elise leads a team responsible for the agency's media, social media, content and digital production. She also looks after employee communications, speech writing, the library and research. Prior to joining the ACCC, Elise was General Manager of Corporate Affairs at Vodafone, where she helped to rebuild the company's reputation after the infamous Vodafone. Now, for those of you overseas who don't know about Vodafone, essentially the network could not cope with the demand and it the reputation damage was absolutely immense. So I'm going to talk to her about that because that is fascinating to me as well. But Elise has a strong consumer advocacy background, having led communications and media teams at the Australian Communication Consumers Action Network and also at Choice Magazine, which in Australia is the Consumers Magazine. Elise has a bachelor's degree in media from Macquarie University in Sydney. She co-authored a paper, Weird and Wonderful Jobs, and was awarded the PR of the Year in-house at the prestigious Mumbrella ComsCon Awards back in 2014. She joins me on the now on the line now. Elise, welcome to GovComs. Thank you, David. Listen, take me back to Vodafone. That was crisis communications at its absolute biggest. When did you get involved and what state was the, was the organisation in when you arrived at that incident? Mm, yeah, it was, casting my mind back, that was a very interesting period professionally. Um, and a little little more interesting um, by the fact that right before I went to Vodafone, I was working at the Australian Communications Consumer Action Network, or ACAN, just a couple of letters off ACCC, uh, which is the peak telecommunications consumer advocacy body in Australia. So funnily enough, I was on the other side of the fence um, <laughs> while havoc. Vodafone was melting down. <laughs> Correct, yeah. So... Um, well, that's one uh, way to stop the opposition, isn't it? Employ them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's a um, 
there's a um, publication that, that communicators working in uh, the telco or comm space will be aware of called Comstate, it's sort of the daily journal, and someone wryly noted at the time of my move, <laughs> if you can't beat them, buy them. <laughs> um, and look, it was a you know very serious um, and considered decision I took to go and work over there. Um, and the reason that I did that, what, what I was doing at ACAN was essentially working um, to ensure consumers knew what their rights were, knew to go to the TIO if they weren't getting results for Vodafone, making information available to them um, on on leaving their contracts, for example, um, because a lot of the issues that Vodafone had at the time, um, and as you uh, said in your intro, um, there were massive network problems and essentially they were caught out um, with the advent of the iPhone, which believe it or not, you know, not that long ago, back in sort of 2009, the use of data um, on, on mobile phones absolutely shot through the roof and they were, had underinvested in their network over a long period of time because um, the three mobile network had merged with um, Vodafone in Australia and so they had their eye on the merger and took their eye off the ball in terms of their investment there. Anyway, long story short, meltdown. But one of the problems that customers were having was that they couldn't even get through to... They couldn't sustain a call long enough on the network to actually get through the on-hold times to speak to someone to leave their contract. So we worked to... Um, let people know just to go straight to the TIO to force Vodafone to take online complaints and things like that um, and generally just um, try to raise awareness and, and assist customers at that time. So the reason I went over there, um, I really am a true believer when it comes to consumer rights and advocacy, which is how I found my spiritual home here at the ACCC. Mm. Um, but the reason I went to Vodafone is twofold. One is it was such a challenge professionally to rebuild that reputation after the trust that they, lo they lost. And secondly, I wanted to work with um, Bill Morrow, who was the CEO at the time, who is a very inspirational leader and remains one of the best people I've ever worked with, uh, and Karina Keisler, who had come from Telstra and also has taught me an enormous amount um, about crisis comms and working in that field. So... It was part, um, I love, love the challenge of it, and partly I wanted to learn from these two very inspiring leaders. So what did you, uh, anyway. what, what, what worked, or what, when you immediately arrived, what were, what were some of the things that you had to do quickly to sort of stabilise the ship, knowing that the network, you know, restoring the capability or the mm. potential is going to take time? How, how could you use communications to try to, you know, restore the situation for Vodafone? Yeah, look, great question. Uh, basically, the relationships with journalists and Vodafone were absolutely in the toilet um, because, uh, and, and certainly not the fault of, of some of the colleagues I work with over at Vodafone when I came over because essentially they were getting incorrect information from the network team um, about things being fixed. And in fact, somewhat astoundingly, the uh, marketing team at one point decided in 2012 to launch a big, we're back, it's all fixed during the cricket, of which they are a major sponsor, and it absolutely was not fixed at all. <laughs> and so the the trust had completely broken down. So did that, basically, did, did that campaign get to air? 
Yes, it did. Oh, yes, it did. Um, and while they were sponsoring the cricket and saying we're back, uh, no one at the cricket had any mobile reception whatsoever. So I could tell you a dozen stories like that. Um, <laughs> the company was not in a good place, shall we say, when, when I got there. Um, and and Bill was very much responsible for that turnaround as as the leader. So what I did from a comms perspective is I rebuilt the trust with Jono's. I did a full... Um, Trans, full transparency was the only way back. So t- telling people exactly what was going on um, on background and how things were progressing, um, when we could e- expect things to be better, how complaints were going. Um, there was a lot of sort of one-off incidents, not one-off, but things that came to us through a current affair or uh, TT, which was around at the time, um, because, you know, there were so many people affected and it was sort of horror story after horror story. So a lot of trying to work to get information into those stories that was factual or helpful to customers. Um, and then internally, I had a really big job as well around um, helping to change the culture to become really customer focused because people had sort of taken their eye off the ball in that regard. And there was quite a number of practices that were going on that were just not great. Um, the, the bill shock and data shock, which was something that we were very passionate about at ACAN, was still rife back then. Um, people getting, you know, bills in the 700 or 2000. And and when we when it came to the table, unfortunately, I did have a seat at the table about um, ways in which we could restore trash and restore brand. Um, I said, why don't we, I know this is going to cost us an enormous amount of money, but it makes absolutely no sense that within a plan, data costs this and outside of it, it costs, you know, tenfold the amount, it's the same data, we all know that, we know mobile networks, why don't we be one of the first to um, end bill shock? And, and we were. Um, and then we launched the 4G network, which was really exciting and absolutely a career highlight, um, where you know we're getting speeds of 150 megabits per second download, where I was one of the first that got to use the network and there was no one on it. And um, we took journos out and showed them what we could do and you know, had four different things streaming at once at a really nice restaurant in Sydney. And, uh, you know, there was a bit of a bit of whining and dining that went on um, in building those relationships. And, and we launched um, the roaming deal as well, which was um, $5 roaming. So you could go, I think it was about 25 countries or something at the time, uh, use your mobile phone as you're just on your normal plan, $5 a day and we um, took a plane load of journalists over to New Zealand and let them um, see what it was like to travel just with your normal phone as opposed to having to buy a SIM or yep. a data pack or whatever. Um, all of this seems like very old news now, but uh, it was just basically putting a saying, saying what we meant and meaning what we said in terms of um, being customer focused and offering a really good service to people. But also through journalism, through media relations, that was the primary channel that you used. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, that was that was really key. Uh, social was really key, which was in my remit as well. There, so um, we we worked really. I got in place a really good crisis plan. So when there were blips or glips in terms of outages, um, we had our social team immediately. Um, putting information available to online that we're aware of it, we're looking into it, we're sorry for the inconvenience, that sort of thing. And one thing that I was also quite proud of we did when I was there is we did have a major network outage on the 4G network about maybe a year or so after it was launched. 
and the whole thing went down nationally. Someone cut a cable or something or stepped, tripped over a cable in WA and the whole thing went down for um, about half a day, uh, four hours, which in, in telco time is near catastrophic. Yep. Yeah. Um, and particularly because we were so close, you know, a couple of years out from Vodafone, we just really couldn't afford to do that. So what we did was um, uh, we once we got everything up and running, we communicated throughout. We communicated early and often on what was wrong. We apologised and said sorry and meant it. And then somehow um, I was able to convince, as a member of the crisis management team, convince the network team to give everyone a free data weekend um, as a chance to sort of show off the 4G networks. Everyone that was impacted could just go absolutely nuts and use as much data as they wanted on this on the the following weekend after the outage. And then uh, what we did was, well, this is certainly not my idea, I can't take credit, someone in my team said, how about we find out like who downloaded the most stuff yeah, and perfect. what it was. So we had... We used data uh, literally and, uh, and to demonstrate who downloaded the most and all these fun stats about how much was downloaded, which state did the most, like all that sort yeah. of fun Perfect. stuff. And it went absolutely nuts. Yeah. Um, it was great. That's great, isn't it? Like th that notion of, you know, there's a very simple idea, probably pretty costly, I imagine. Um, but then working off that event, you know, in all sorts of different ways to bring that to life, to really draw attention to the, the capability to try to lessen the, the blows. Exactly, exactly. It was, um, yeah, I was very proud, proud of the team's work on that one. So looking back, what are, what are sort of the, the, the two or three key things that you, you took from that sort of absolutely high-pressure you know, volatile, unstable, really challenging workplace, and not just from what you learned professionally, but what did you learn about managing people during that time? Uh, well, it, having, uh, as most fellow communicators will know, there doesn't tend to be a lot of budget, although I certainly um, was in a stronger position resourcing-wise, I, I should say, than, than um, generally government agencies are, are, have where we run quite lean typically in the public service is my experience and understanding um, so people are everything make sure you've got absolute best possible team you can have um, and, and play to their strengths um, my leadership style has always been to um, give people as much free reign as as is possible um, particularly when it comes to ideas like that. Um, you know, let's do a media release around the data and those downloads, for example. You know, I have management saying, oh, but God, this is, it's finally over. Do we really want to draw attention to this outage again? Like, why? You know, guys, guys, seriously, can this just go away? And we're like, no, I know it sounds counterintuitive, but this is a really great chance for us to show off, show off how we're, you know, being really good to our customers. We're generally sorry, and our 4G network kicks ass. So... Letting people have ideas like that float up to the top and, and really advocate for them. Um, so to give them the opportunity to be innovative makes everyone look good, even if you fail. Um, you're, you're kind of pushing the envelope. And I think comms teams do need to keep trying to reinvent themselves and, and do more than just send out media releases and take calls. Um, and particularly in the government sector as well, I think we always really need to be trying to push... Uh, our, our seniors 
if not betters, to be um, trying new things. Um, what else did I learn? Look, I know this sounds a bit trite, but you really do need to have fun when you're having a crisis. You you have to have a bit of a sense of humour. If if I um, when I uh, landed there, I'll never forget my first day, I got a call from someone who I'd never heard of internally, of course, I hadn't heard of anyone, saying, oh, this is bloody blah from networks. Um, I just thought I should let you know there's been a bit of an incident. And I said, oh, <laughs> that's no good. I said, what, what do you mean? And he said, um, well, we were um, doing some work on a cockatoo island. Uh, for those who don't know, that's a heritage-listed beautiful location in the middle of Sydney Harbour. Oh, The guys were doing a bit of work and bringing some stuff in on a ferry on the back dock and they've accidentally knocked down a building. I I said, what? I said, what? And and they said, yeah, yeah, it's just just knocked down. It's not not huge, no huge building, but yeah, it's it's not. And I said, what? And he went, yeah. I said, is it heritage listed? And he goes, yeah, I think so. I said, is this a joke? And, you know, start as you mean to continue. Um, that, you know, I, I didn't laugh about that, obviously, but when things of that nature and others were happening to a company that was in turmoil very regularly, yeah. um, it had to try and really maintain um, a good sense, a good vibe and a good, um, you know, trying to keep things light for the team, particularly around the office, because otherwise you'd just be wringing your hands and everyone would be in constant state of panic. And <laughs> people don't work well when they're, in that, when they're in that mode. So keeping it light helps. Uh, and finally, I think this is an important one in terms of journalists. I had some, we worked in an open plan office and, and on our level there was about 200 people. So one of my resounding memories from that time is talking to journalists in the concrete stairwell on level 16. Uh, And some of those conversations were really, really robust um, and needed to be because, you know, things were getting better. But once you've got a narrative, Vodafail, every article that was ever written said, you know, beleaguered company Vodafail has done da-da-da, even when it was good. Um, Even when it was good news for us, that was kind of the intro. So building those relationships, being respectful, um, but but also firm and saying, "Hey, come on, um, this isn't yeah. this isn't fair." In yeah. relation to this, this is two years ago. I know people are still upset. I know it's a narrative, but can we can we start to move on? Yeah. So the the advice really is to make the time and the effort to get to know the person who is the journalist and be able to build that relationship such that you can have those robust conversations as they are required absolutely yep so you've you, you you've now moved to the a triple c which as i said in my introduction is is really um has such a vast remit uh, you know across the um australian economy in terms of that role to uh you know manage that fairness and the integrity um of of the marketplace how does how how do you think about or how does the leadership at the ACCC think about communications as a as a tool for achieving its objectives? Well, I'm pleased to say that the ACCC has always thought about communications in a pretty progressive sense, and I think um, in part due to the the chairs that we've had over time. 
um, all three of them, um, Alan Fells, you'll still hear from quite a lot in the media and followed by Grand Samuels and then, of course, uh, the inimitable Rod Sims, um, who I've got the great pleasure of working with as our chair now at the ACCC. They've all, um, they've all starting back with Alan, have used their role as a platform um, in order to bring about more awareness to the business community and to, about their obligations uh, and also to consumers about their rights and obligations also. Um, put simply, the mass media is a really, really easy, effective way for us to get messages out where we just wouldn't be able to... Otherwise, we don't have any marketing budgets whatsoever. I sort of scrimp and scave here and there to, to do campaigns on social and, and work with other teams across the agency where we can um, for really important issues like Takata airbag recall, which we're doing, our product safety team has been doing. It's the largest car recall yeah. in history in Australia, globally, in fact. Um, so we don't have a marketing budget. So mass media is you know, a blunt but very effective tool. Um, and I'm fortunate to work with a very skilled media team um, and diverse media team who do a lot of targeting as well to specific publications, demographics, based on what the topic is. Yeah. So in terms of how it works, in terms of your role, is there such a thing of a, as a typical planning cycle for you? And then who's involved in that planning cycle? Is it you working with the team and then taking it upstairs or are you engaging with the upstairs to get there you know, at the very earliest stages? Do you have plans? Uh, is it you know, tactical because it needs to be because you just don't know mm. what's coming around the corner? How, how, how does it work? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, and the short answer, I guess, is it's complicated. <laughs> but um, we, to give you a sense of the numbers, just in terms of media, um, media releases alone, last year we issued 270. Um, there's 260 working days in a year. So um, there's you know anywhere from one to three, four. My limit is five. If we get to five media releases, then I'm like, guys, we are just spamming our list. We need to, <laughs> we're moving it to tomorrow. Um, but again, it sounds like so, you're also targeting it though. So maybe five... Five is not going to be too bad because you know you 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 you're identifying the you know the swim lanes that you want to operate in. Yeah, that's right. And we'll put more. I don't want to take away from any of the work that my colleagues at the ACCC does because it's all um, important economy wide. But we'll put more, probably of those um, two hundred and seventy odd media releases a year that we do. There'll be thirty that are. Um, that really resonate with people are really important, get really wide reach. Um, so they're the kind of easy ones. You'll see that sort of stuff everywhere. But for the other sort of more niche um, audiences, the, uh, the way that our media team is set up is we've got people working on certain um, particular sort of topics. So we've got what we refer to as the pointy-headed stuff, which is our infrastructure and regulatory teams and our mergers and acquisitions teams who are doing a lot of that work that's focused on a very particular technical or business audience. Then we've got someone that works exclusively on scams media. That's probably the most requests we get for interviews about scams. Um, and we're doing a lot on bushfire scams right now, if you yeah. can believe that people are 
setting up fake GoFundMe pages and whatnot, but here we are, 2020. Um, and also product safety, of course, is a specialist there. Um, and we've got one person, actually, that's responsible for all of our sort of consumer enforcement, what I refer to as rock star enforcement, um, which is all the Nurofen, Trivago, Viagogo, Apple, Telstra sort of consumer law cases. So in terms of then supporting that very active media um, program, what are you doing in the content space? We, in terms of, um, I didn't quite answer your question, I got a little waylaid before, but in terms of scheduling and planning and yeah. things like that, um, we we have a... We have a sort of annual calendar for reports and things that we know that are coming out. Yeah. Um, and then... They they will typically be by month. They will have you know five five to ten reports a month that are going out on particular things. Um, then there'll be the consumer enforcement cases that, that I mentioned. Them going into court or judgments coming out. We can get a we can that's a lot more difficult to plan for. So we just plan space around that and make sure we're not cannibalising our own media by doing two big things on the one day. So we manage that all via a. Um, a weekly scheduling call with our executive office that organises some of the executive briefs for our commissioners and needs to update um, various teams on what's happening when and other stakeholders. Um, so we basically it's week to week. Mm. But it's week to week, but it's sitting inside a, a, a broader strategic plan, is it? Oh, yes. We, of course, um, we have an overall corporate plan and then ours falls under that. Our our work is to support the broader strategic plan and then we have individual strategies from an employee comms perspective. We have uh, a strategy in place that we refresh every couple of years and, and report back against benchmarks in relation to that. Social media strategy, we've just um, redeveloped that and we're in a really exciting um, sort of growth phase for social. We've we've been playing around there for, since about 2012, but just uh, just recently the agency is really understanding um, what we can do with kind of a little bit of money can go a really long way yeah. in terms of getting some of those really important messages out. So we're we're in a growth phase there, um, and media strategies. We don't have an overall overarching. Um, strategy, I'm afraid to say. We tend to do that built more around a campaign on a particular issue yeah. or, a, you know, that, that builds in social and, you know, employee comms and other areas. So I'm, I'm interested to about just to ask about that social. And as you say, you've been playing since 2012, relying on organic. You're now spending a little bit of money, you say, um, mm-hmm. but obviously for the distribution. But is, are there formats that are working? Are you learning more about what's working with different audiences or different times yeah. of the day or, you know, other forms yeah. of content that, that is helping you to perform better? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, we've, for a lot of our consumer content, um, Facebook remains king in terms of getting messages out there and we, we have some, we can spend like a little bit of money, as I mentioned that Takata recall, there was some very dangerous airbags added uh, towards the tail end of last year and we ended up with a 5k investment on Facebook reaching, I think it was a 
to one and a half million people, something extraordinary yeah. in four days. Yeah. So when we know that content is important and it's interesting, we will we will promote it. We're also using video a lot more. Um, we haven't had an in-house video producer um, historically, but we're starting to we're working towards that. We've got some people that are doing little bits of work for us here and there, and then using freelancers otherwise, and occasionally the the big production. We've done some great work again on product safety there for, for everything from sort of um, DIY car maintenance to button batteries, which is really dangerous product that can hurt children and um, also franchising as well, which is something we've worked on with the small business team, um, doing a lot of translation of materials into other languages and then promoting those via Facebook as well. So I guess in short, we're trying to, what we try to do at the outset is figure out who we need to be talking to on a particular message and then obviously Facebook's a really good way of being able to target particular audiences and we're also exploring stuff around you know, promoting things on YouTube um, and probably looking at sort of WeChat and, and other channels to reach more um, culturally and linguistically diverse audiences this year. We, we have... Um, we do translate quite quite a number of media releases where we think there's a particular in interest to a community or or group, but um, we don't tend to get a lot of pickup on them. Interestingly, okay. um, a lot of a lot of the local, very local sort of suburban, um, in language newspapers um, that we've approached on various issues haven't haven't wanted to um, haven't wanted to run editorial too much unless. Um, it is of direct relevance to um, that you can have a particular person from that cultural background who is affected by it. So they need a case study and things like that, which is a bit harder for us to yeah. come by. But um, yeah, continuing to try and see what we can do to reach other audiences because Australia, of course, is you know now almost 50% of people were born overseas or have a parent who were. Um, I think you know while the mainstream media remains the most effective tool to reach the largest audience. I think that that targeting and and um, reaching different audiences is going to be increasingly important for all communicators. Do you do you use um, technology for the translation or do you how, how do you do your translation? We just um, there's a whole bunch of websites where you can translate a one-page A4 document, which I try to keep our media releases to, for, you know, 100 bucks, 200 bucks. It's, yeah. it's relatively inexpensive. And then because we ourselves have a diverse workforce, we can get people to then check it yeah. for us and make sure that it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Just a, a, final, a final question. As you, you mentioned before, which I think is, a you know, a great insight, is that, you know, often in government, government communications, there's not, you know, large licks of money floating around for you to, you know, um, you know, mm -hmm. reach for the sky, so to speak. How, how do you go about making the most out of, of the resources that you've got? Are there any sort of tips and tricks that you've got for being able to, you know, extend the, the impact of, of the budget that you do have? Uh, well, number one rule, as I said, people are everything. Um, it's a really good question, David, because I think in this role... Um, one of the things that I've, I've been with the ACCC for three and a half years and 
when I joined in 2016, we had all of those areas that I've talked about, consumer enforcement, and infrastructure, regulatory and mergers, that sort of thing. But since then, we've been directed to conduct a number of government inquiries, everything from retail electricity pricing to the impact of Google and Facebook yeah. on media and journalism, um, gas, the Takata recall, as I said, and and quite a number of else. And so the impact on of that on our strategic communications branch is, has been really significant. Yeah. So we have had to do um, a lot more work with less. Um, I think from a leadership perspective, something that I've had to be quite focused on and have, have led asked the team to do same is if you ever want to increase your comms budget and, and get some traction internally, um, you would do very well to um, make sure that people are seeing the work that they have done up in lights, as it were. So we've made a real point of when we run a campaign or when there's been a big media day on a particular issue, collating all of that, putting it in a beautiful-looking report and really making the team and the work, as it should be, the star and, and not us, but people really enjoy that. It, it has the, um, the you know, cross-benefit of them having the warm and fuzzies about the comms team, but with the social media, for example, um, Rod uh, himself, our chair, had this aha moment when we were presenting um, a paper or a report back on a, a trial that we did last year or the year before promoting enforcement outcomes for um, those rock star consumer cases where I was saying, well, you know, he said, uh, someone said, you know, as they always do in these sort of meetings, oh, we should do a media release around this. And I thought, nah, nah maybe, maybe not. This is not. This is not a media thing. This is of great interest to people. I can't even remember what it was. Who bought this product or something? But, we, you know, we've got about 10,000 subscribers to our email media list. Let's just not send it to all 10,000. Uh, how about we try and get this audience? And Rod said, oh, okay, well, how would we do that? And I said, oh, pretty easy. We could just put some money on Facebook. And he said, well, how much money? And I said, I don't know. And I just said at the top of my head, I said, five, you know, 5K. And he goes, oh, that's, a, that's half a QC's day in court, <laughs> you know. So they're, they're used to dealing with these incredible legal budgets where it yeah. does cost, you know, nine, ten grand to get a QC in to represent us on a case for one single day in court. Yeah. So I sort of, and then we reported back and I said, look, for 5K, we can reach a million people that this audience, this information is directly relevant to them and useful to their lives. And he was kind of sold after that. So we did a 12-month trial promoting those enforcement outcomes. And again, we report back and we show the team and we show them the engagement and what people are saying about their work. Like, hey, Triple C, you're so awesome. Like, keep up the great work. You're fantastic. Wow, go get them, you know. And that appetite grows. Yeah. And the commissioners, I make sure they see those reports in our sort of monthly updates and, and they get really excited too. You know, often there's this kind of, um, I think there's a, I don't know, I've, I've, I've certainly been guilty of this in the past where I, you know, you think, oh, you know, they don't get it or yeah. they're not interested in that sort of stuff. But there is, uh, certainly at the ACCC and I hope in other places, um, there is a genuine interest and enthusiasm from commissioners. You just need to work on that education piece. Yeah. And if people understand stuff and they can talk about it and they feel confident about it, you're upskilling them, they'll back you 100%. Yeah. 
they're thrilled. I've got, you know, I've got commissioners saying, oh, can you, oh, this is great. And, you know, I saw this thing. I did this thing on LinkedIn and all these people liked it. And can you guys manage my LinkedIn? And I'm like, no, we have 1.5 people working in social media. Give me some more money and sure. I'll run your LinkedIn profile. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I advocate, but make it a, advocate and promote yourselves, but make it about the work and the, the teams that are doing that work and, uh, you can you can uh, gradually, little by little, hopefully uh, increase your resourcing. Fantastic, at least that's a, a wonderful piece of advice. I think it's it's often forgotten, isn't it? Is it we so busy doing the doing, and there's so many there's always something else to do. But that important point of stopping, gathering, celebrating with your team when things have gone well, but then that last little the, the extra piece is to then okay, who needs to know about this? And how can mm. we present it to them in a way that it's relevant, you know, to them uh, and to the benefit that mm. has created for their part of the organisation? So I think that's absolutely. I've key. actually yeah. just written that down. So thank you very much. <laughs> I'm going to go away. Don't forget to show off, as my husband would say. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Well, Elise, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for sharing your experiences Pleasure. from Vodafone all the way through to ACCC. Um, a lot of value in there for the audience. So. Um, so much to take away from today's discussion. So thank you so much for uh, coming back from your holiday to have a conversation with us on GovComs. And to you, the audience, thank you for coming back once again. A new year, 2020. Looking forward to it. Lots to talk about in Gov Communications. Um, so anyway, we'll be back at the same time in two weeks' time with another interesting guest. But until then, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.